All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 7. Well, this morning we're going to finish up uh, this chapter, which has been somewhat of a personal one for the Apostle Paul. While sharing uh, with the church in Rome, uh, mostly with the Jewish believers, okay? But in general, sharing with the church in Rome how we are not under the law, how in Christ we have been released from the law. Paul knew that he was going to need to share some more details because many of them were not going to understand this. Certainly, you, you grew up as a Jew before you came to Christ. It was a certain belief system you had, an understanding of the law is this you're going to be living this way for the rest of your life. And so Paul knew that he needed to share a little more in depth on this subject matter. And of course, even earlier on in chapter 3, verse 20, he made the statement that there has never been anyone uh, become righteous or declared righteous by observing the law, ever. And so even making that statement, he knew there were going to be some questions. Questions like, well, then what's it for? If I can't be saved through the law, what is the law for? What is its purpose? What's, what's the role that the law plays? And so what Paul decided to do here in chapter 7 was to share with them the purpose of the law, but he did so, as many of you know by now, in the form of a personal testimony. Now, the purpose of the law hopefully we've been uh, ready for this, but the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. Okay? The purpose of the law was to reveal sin. Yes, don't get me wrong, it's certainly there to show God's holy standards, what he desired for them, but at the same time, he knew they couldn't keep. I always got to like that. God gives us his holy word, his moral law, knowing that we would fail. But you see, the goal of that was to help them to see their sin, help them to see they could not measure up to the holy standards of God and therefore recognize that they needed a Savior, which we all know is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've quoted before in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it makes it very clear. He says, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Okay, the law had a job. It was to reveal our sin, therefore lead us to Christ. And then he says, so that we may be justified by faith. We're not justified through the law. We're justified through faith. It's the law who reveals to us that we're sinners and need that. Helping these Jewish believers to understand this, Paul stated right here in chapter 7, verse 7, he said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. <laughs> you know, for, I was trying to think of this uh, this week. For example, you know, if you have a society, okay, if you have a society that literally has no moral laws, Okay, And then you were to literally write up every detail of what you did that entire week. And now take that list and put it side by side with the holy law of God. And now guess what you're going to see? You know what you're going to see. You're going to see that you're screwed up. 
You're going to see that you're sinful. You're going to recognize that you are really a depraved human being. And you see, God's moral law is his divine standard of righteousness. And because we fail to keep them all, it helps us to identify our sinfulness. Now, that being said, that in itself might cause some people to think, well, that means that the law is really the bad guy, right? Whenever the law is revealed, it seems to bring forth sin, Well, that's true. And therefore, Paul wants to make sure and be clear that the moral standards of God, which are laid out in his law, do not cause us to sin. He makes this clear as we've gone through chapter 7. The moral law of God does not cause us to sin. It simply shows us who we really are. And to be sure, he says in verse 12, he says, guys, the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. And therefore, who does the problem with sin fall on? Us, doesn't it? Speaking really for all of us, he's speaking for himself here in the text, but speaking really for all of us, Paul said in verse 14, the law is spiritual. I mean, the law is of God. But Paul says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, even though we can, we can all go back and study in the book of Acts how Paul had faithfully served God, and God even had him write 50% of the New Testament, Paul admitted here in chapter 7 that he failed God many times. And it was the law that uncovered that. It was the law that helped him to see that. And so the point he's trying to get at is it's that way for all of us. God's holy and righteous law is perfect and therefore makes it impossible for us to keep it all. Even though our hearts and our minds, we want to, we desire to, we just can't seem to pull it off. Look what Paul said about himself in verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I do, he said, what I hate, I do. So he's saying, my heart is with God. I, I desire to honor God with my life. Yet there are times when I will, I will just catch myself turning around doing something just the opposite. To help explain this, he says in verse 17, he gives this what I call a divided concept. Verse 17, he says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Did you catch that? Do you see how how Paul separates I myself from the sin living within me? There's this battle between two identities in the believer, okay, Paul sees what is written in the law. He recognizes, as I said, it is holy, it is righteous, it is good, and he wants to follow it. But there's something else that produces within him this this rebellion. And it responds by literally revolting against the very standards of God himself. You see, folks, as many of you know, we have this thing called a sin nature within us. Every single one of us received it at birth, right? 
All of us, which we inherited from Adam. But we also have a new nature. Second uh, Peter 1 calls it a divine nature. We are, we are partakers of the divine nature, okay? which we then we received, at, of course, at the time of our salvation. But those two are in a battle. It's very similar to, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, which says this. Paul says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. He says, very simply, they are in conflict with each other, listen, so that you do not do what you want. It's exactly what Paul said in verse 15. Matter of fact, he'll now say it again in verses 19 And 20, he said, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but a sin living in me that does it. Folks, Paul knew that he was no longer a slave to sin He knew he was born again. He knew that he was a new creation in Christ. Yet yet sin still expressed itself through him when he did not do the things that he desired to do. Now, even though here Paul said that there was good that he wanted to do, but he was kept from doing it, He's not saying here that he was totally powerless to do that which is good. It's important we understand that. He's saying simply that he was unable to completely obey, to completely fulfill the requirements of God's holy law. He failed. Okay? Like Paul, folks, every single one of us need to realize that even though the longing for sin is no longer there, the sin nature within us is still hanging around. Now, is that an excuse to sin? Well, no, absolutely not. We need to realize that within us is this perpetual contradiction. And of course, that being said, we would need to feed, we need to nurture the one that honors God. And we can simply do that practically. Get into God's Word. Come, come to Wednesday night Bible studies. Come to the, to the Sunday school class that Dave teaches on Sunday morning. All these different things. God's Word has an effect on our lives. We all know it. I will hide your Word in my heart so that what? That I will not sin against you. Nowhere does it says, you know, feed my emotions and I won't sin against you. Let me hear a shallow sermon and I will not sin against you. We can keep going on and on and on with those. He said to hide your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. Well, folks, this morning as we close out this section, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 25 where Paul addresses the reality of this fundamental truth that he brought up in verse 17. This this dichotomy of I myself versus the sin living in me. But he also mentions, by the way, the greatest news of all, and that is how thankful that we can be that even though we do sin, 
that even though we, we do find ourselves doing things that we really don't want to do, that the Lord Jesus Christ is there to rescue us. Read with me those verses, 21 through 25. He says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Now here's the other side of that. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So as you can see here, Paul continues to speak on this personal struggle, a struggle that literally every one of us deals with. As we've gone through these last few weeks, I know there's a lot of repetition, but you can see the same struggle that the Apostle Paul went through that we still struggle with today. Now before I actually get into verse 21, just want to give you a brief reminder. As I read those verses, you probably noticed the word law. Matter of fact, in, just in those verses, the word law was used seven times, okay? Seven times in those verses. Now, every time it is the same Greek word. It is the word nomos, okay? But it's very important, folks. Do not assume that it always means God's law or it always means the Mosaic law or that it always means the moral law. Okay? Just because you see the word law, don't, don't always make it mean that. As I've said 100,000 times, and I know I shouldn't exaggerate, but I've said it numerous times that you must allow the context to, def to, to define the meaning of the word. Okay, So don't be confused as we do talk about the law a lot in this passage, but every time he mentions it here, it's not necessarily talking about the law of God. And we'll see that. Okay, For example, we'll start in verse 21. He says, So I find this law at work. Well, what law is he talking about? Well, if we simply just read the rest of the verse, it will tell us. He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay? So this, this, this law he, quote, finds at work is the same thing that he's been talking about for numerous verses now. If you have the New American Standard, it uses the word principle. Principle instead of the word law. Okay? So it is the New Living Translation. Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life, which is probably a better at least understanding what he's trying to get at. In the life of the believer, and certainly I hope that every one of us lives a life that we desire to honor God, okay? But in the life of the believer, the principle is when we desire to honor God, when we desire to do the right thing, when we desire to say the right thing, respond the right way, uh, live out what God wants us to do every day, at the very same time, there's this sin that is within us, as Paul says, is right there with me. He says, it's right there. Even when I desire, especially when I desire to live my life to honor the Lord. 
to go against the world's standards, to defeat the temptations of Satan, it's like sin, he says, is right there. As MacArthur points out, lingering sin does battle with every good thing that a believer desires to do. Every good thought, every good intention, every good motive, every good word, every good deed. I think he was just trying to be complete there. So folks, whether we want to call it sin, whether we want to call it our sin nature, whether we want to call it the flesh, uh, our earthly nature, our old nature, right here in verse 25, the law of sin, right here in verse 21, evil. Okay, These are all biblical terms used for the very same thing. The principle is that when the believer desires to do good, be faithful. Live out what we know and understand in the word of God. There's sinfulness right there, always willing to stand in opposition. We've all fought this battle, every one of us. And you know it, nobody has to shake their head, I know it. Well, he breaks this down just a little bit more in the next couple of verses. Read with me verses 22 and 23. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's half of it. Verse 23, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So as he did earlier, in verse 17, you'll notice here that he's separating himself, right? There's the I, right? He's separating himself from the sin living within me, okay? He's saying there's me and there's, there's the sin living within me. Like verse 17, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living within me. He literally separates. He does the same thing here, Okay? Verse 22 is, is, if you will, the true Apostle Paul. What does he say? He says, in my inner being, it's actually my, my inner man, in my inner man, I delight in God's law, Paul says. Me, the Apostle Paul that you know, in my heart, in my mind, I delight, I love God's law. Now, folks, this is, this is really uncovering Paul's new nature, him being born again, him having a changed heart. Paul is not who he used to be. And we know that because he simply says, I delight in God's law. And what he means by that is simply that he now has a love for the very principles, the values, the, the righteousness that comes from God's law. As a former Pharisee, as you know, Paul was more into the external look, right? It was always, how do I look good? How do people see me? That's how all the Pharisees were. But now, what does Paul say here? He says it's internal, doesn't he? He says he truly rejoices in the holiness of God's moral law, right? Verse 22, he says, in my inner being, I truly rejoice in God's moral law. 
Folks, I don't know about you, but I, I, I can think of myself before Christ. I can look back all those years and, and I can say, you know what? I wanted nothing to do with the truth. I wanted nothing to do with virtue. I certainly did not want anything to do with decency. But now, it, it literally bothers me to death when I see people act out the very way that I used to. When I see people do the same things that I used to do. It bothers me to no end when I see that. Even though I used to do the same thing. And that's because like Paul, God has given me a love for his truth. God has internally changed who I used to be. Just like he's done many of you, all of you. Some of us have a more unique testimony than others do. But that's what he does. And that's what he's done in the life of Paul. See? But that being said, whether it's you, whether it's me, or whether it's the Apostle Paul, he now switches over to verse 23. And he says, but... Right? You always guys, it's a very important word, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. What is it doing? It's waging war against the law of my mind. That's the law he talked about in verse 22. He said, This makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. It's at work within my members. Okay? When it, when it, by the way, when it says members there, it's really, it, it really just means body or limbs in the Greek. But it, it's, it's, it's almost as if saying, out of all of our members of our body, there's that sin principle that is everywhere. It's in every nook and every cranny. It's everywhere to be found. It's in all my members within me. And so Paul is saying here in verse 23, even though I love God, I love his truth. He says in verse 22, I love his law is my desire to live for Christ, to bring him honor. But there's this battle going on within me. It's almost like Paul's saying there's this enemy from within. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. I know how I want to live. But there's this, this is this enemy from within. Matter of fact, he, go, he goes on to literally say there, what does he say? It's waging war against the law of my mind. In other words, it's waging war against my desire to do what is right. It's almost as if there's this piece of unredeemed flesh that is still within us. That's not only hostile to what is true and hostile to what is holy, but it literally thrives on opposing it. It's one thing to say, I'd rather not pursue that lifestyle. But it's, it's far worse to say, I want to do everything I can to stop it. I don't want you to live that lifestyle. I don't want to be holy and righteous and honorable to God. It's like having an enemy combatant within us. Matter of fact, Paul says here in verse 23, that sometimes he is a prisoner of this enemy. There are times, folks, even though temporarily, when he is drawn away from seeking after God. You ever caught yourself doing that? You know the truth, 
You're faithful, you're, 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 you're reading the word, you're into the word, you're studying it, you have accountability, and then sometimes you just get yourself in a situation and your mind goes completely the opposite direction. You almost want to stop and say, what in the world am I doing? What am I thinking? This is what Paul meant in the previous verses when he said the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. Albert Barnes says the apostle represents himself as engaged in a warfare and has become overcome and made an unwilling captive to the evil inclinations of the heart. In Psalm 58, verse 3, it says, Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward and speak lies. We all know Psalm 51.5, right? Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Folks, that is, that is what literally battles those desires that we have to live and to honor the, the word of God. As David said here in the Psalms, it's, it's part of us. Since, since we were in our mother's belly, Before we even came into this world, that sinfulness was in us, and it's still there. Spurgeon said, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. Which kind of reminds you when he says, my entire, all the members, right? He just says it, Spurgeon just says it, all the atoms of our nature. It's, It's there. There's nowhere where it's not. Well, knowing this in an all-too-personal way, Paul begins verse 24 by saying, what a wretched man that I am. Folks, Paul was lamenting the fact that this struggle was going to be lifelong, as long as he was in the body. Okay? The more he saw the holy standards of God's law, And of course, the more he came to understand the holiness of God himself, the more he recognized his own depravity. And by the way, this is just yet another reason why people love to compare themselves with others. We've talked about this before. People love to compare themselves with others. When they do so, it makes them feel good about themselves. Always does. That will never, ever, ever happen when comparing yourself to a holy God. Thus, the purpose of the law. Okay? This opens the eyes, our eyes, to sin. Folks, even the great apostle Paul says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Because, you know, when he's talking about the moral law of God, folks, he's talking about the very character, the very nature, the very essence of God. It's who he is. And when you look at that, read it, or simply learn, like, like the ladies will learn in theology proper, God the Father, when you learn every attribute in his character and his nature, you cannot look at that without saying, oh, wretched man, I am screwed up. You cannot. Hence, the very next statement there in verse 24. 
Who will rescue me from this body of death? Anybody else find that interesting? As, as long as many years as you have studied God's word, as long as you went through Acts and maybe some of the New Testament and so forth, you've seen the Apostle Paul just sacrifice his entire life to honor God, put himself at death's door to be able to witness to Jesus Christ. And you, you, look, at just, you look at Paul here and you're going, you know, he's just like me. <laughs> he's, he's in a struggle. I'm a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And of course, this is, this is one of the major points of this entire passage, and that is the purpose of the law. Remember, that's the whole point of going through all this. Paul just happens to be using his personal testimony. But it's talking about the purpose of the law. The law cannot save you. The law cannot sanctify you, but it will cause you to see your wickedness. And if anything, it will push you to the one who can save you from it. The very sin Paul struggled with caused him to use the words, this body of death. Folks, you, listen, you, you cannot stare at perfect holiness. You cannot stare at moral perfection, the very nature of Almighty God, and not come to that conclusion about yourself. You can't. Impossible. It is impossible to look at the law of God, the very principles that are based on who he is, the holy essence of God, without seeing that you and I are utterly sinful. We are lost and we have no hope in and of ourselves. It's impossible to see anything otherwise. And this is why he calls it a body of death. The sin nature within us burdens us with our own sin. And of course, as we all know, sin causes death, physically and of course, spiritually. Well, for the benefit of his readers, Paul answered his own question here. After opening up himself and sharing his own personal struggles with sin. He, he says here at the very beginning of verse 25, there's only one that can and has rescued him. Just one. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives thanks to him because there is no one else, folks, who can help us to overcome sin. And listen, this is very important. There's no one else who can help us to overcome sin and yet still forgive us when we fail to do so. You ever think about that? He's there. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word to overcome sin. And yet he's there to forgive us when we That's why Paul says, man, I just I thank the Lord Jesus Christ. When you can look at yourself and say, oh, wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from this body of death? How can you not turn to Christ with every bit of thanks that is within you? Because you know what he has done. You know what he has given to you. He loves you, he's forgiven you, he's redeemed you, he's sanctifying you, he's preparing an eternal home for you. And yet when you look at yourself up against him 
his holy standards? How do you get more depraved than that? Which, hence the doctrine of total depravity. In closing, Paul reminds them, really just in a repetition, but Paul reminds them yet once again of the perpetual struggle that he and every Christian deals with. He said there at the second half of verse 25, he said, So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. That's Paul. That's what I want. That's what I love. That's what I desire. But in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Folks, the battle with sin will not go away anytime soon. (laughs) And therefore, we must be prepared. We must be equipped to deal with the sin nature that is within us. It will oppose the holiness of God's law even while we in our heart of hearts desire to honor God with all that we do and we say and we act and respond and everything. And I pray that God's law, even though, once again, it can't save you and it cannot sanctify you, but I pray that it will humble every one of us and help us to realize how far short we are from God's perfection and therefore remind us that we too need to be thankful to him for his forgiveness and showing us his constant mercy, his constant grace. Because when you look at Paul through all these verses we've gone through in chapter 7, he's opened himself up the sin, my sin, my struggle. I want to do what's right and then I don't do it. I fail God. That's all of us. That's every one of us. Compare that to what God has given you, how he's blessed you, what he's done for you. Let it remind you, not only do you want to certainly overcome that sin, but thank the Lord for when you don't, that he's there for you. He didn't just say, well, I'm kicking you to the curb because no one would be saved. Nobody, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you have revealed to us, even if not through the life of the Apostle Paul, that sinfulness is there. The old nature, the sin nature, the flesh, it's there to battle our own desire to live for you and to honor you. Therefore, Lord, we need to keep feeding ourselves with your holy word. We need to to be a, a people who say, you know what, I need to study the Word of God. I need to be at things like Bible studies and Sunday school and sermons and and continue to feed myself because there's no other way. Lord, your Word tells us if we hide it in our hearts that we will not sin against you. There's no other place in Scripture where there's anything else outside of your Word that it tells us that. And so, Lord, help us to truly be faithful to that. And that way, Lord, we can give you glory for when we overcome sin. We can give you glory when we honor you with our lives because that's our desire. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.